Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now, Liz, if you'll come on up to the microphone and introduce our speaker today. Deborah Layton is a young woman whom the Lord has been preparing for his call on her life since she was very young. She was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the third of four children to a lively family whose head is himself an ordained Episcopal priest serving in Connecticut. Of her siblings, she says she is the quiet one. We suspect this is a loud family. While reading scripture at the age of 13, Deborah felt her heart strangely warmed, and in that moment she was overwhelmed and knew that she needed a Savior. She knew that Jesus died on the cross for her, and she committed her life to him in response. As an undergraduate at Wheaton College, Deborah discovered three passions. First, for the community of the church. Second, for theater and all art forms, where there is beauty and truth. And third, a passion for the Word of God. While studying scripture in an upper-level Bible course at Wheaton and preparing a final paper for the class, she sensed the Holy Spirit with her powerfully. And this was the first time she felt a call to ordained ministry. Deborah loved studying scripture and having it transform her own life, but she did not want to be a priest. That was her dad's life. She did not think it was hers. After leaving Wheaton, she followed her dream and went to New York City to pursue an acting career. After a couple of years, the dream soured and she knew it was time to obey the call to ministry. The doors of her acting career closed and she was accepted to seminary in 2004. Since graduating in 2008, Deborah has been a church planter in Amherst, Massachusetts and in October answered a call by the Advent to serve as our canon missioner and director of women's ministries. I'm so pleased to present Deborah Layton to you now. Thank you, Liz. It is a joy to be here with you this morning. And uh, it's a joy to meet women from other parishes in the diocese. How wonderful that you all get together once a year to do this. I look forward to going downstairs and actually taking time to look at all of the beautiful things that are there. And I think what a wonderful way to get ready for this most wonderful holiday. Um, for many of you, you might be in the same boat as, as myself in that Christmas is such a wonderful time of year. I look at this beautiful season and it affects me on such a deep level. It affects me with joy. I find myself so joyful at this time of year. And I also find myself at times experiencing a touch of melancholy. And I have to ask myself, why? 
So we'll look at both these things. I think about the joy, and I think of all that good cheer, the parties, the fancy clothes, the beautiful colors that we put on our best things for each other um, to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. We eat delicious food. Some of my favorite food comes around only this time of the year, candy canes and um, some people have plum pudding. We don't have plum pudding in my family growing up, so that's not one of my favorite things. But every family has their own favorite foods that we resurrect every year. We bring them out, and someone special makes them just the way that only that special person can. And we all enjoy them. I think also of that beautiful music. This is the time of year when we get to hear those beautiful pieces. We sing the carols. I love Advent because we also sing those songs of expectation and longing as we wait for Christmas. These songs we sing only at this time of year. There's something very special about that, that all year we wait to this time of year when we get to sing them once again. I think also of the contrasts of this time of year, that now is the time when the light gets the darkest. If you think about it, I don't experience it as much here in Birmingham, perhaps, thank goodness, but um, where I'm coming most recently from in Amherst, Massachusetts, that four o'clock sunset <laughs> comes way too soon, and you're walking to your car in the dark, and you think, my work day is only just over, and it's already pitch black outside, and then, you know, in the morning, you're just waiting and longing for the sunrise. There's so much darkness throughout the course of the day. It's no coincidence that the early church decided on this time of year to celebrate Jesus' birth, to begin this season of light, to bring light into darkness, just as Jesus, the light of the world, came into the darkness. So I think of those contrasts of light and dark, and that brings me joy. I think, too, of the contrast with cold and warm homes. It gets so cold outside in the places where I've previously lived. <laughs> and I mean like really cold. <laughs> so once it gets down to 20 degrees outside, you just cannot wait to come inside, have any kind of hot beverage, and uh, light a fire in the fireplace, put on your warmest sweater. Uh, and so I think there's something about that contrast between the cold outside and the warmth inside that brings joy on a certain level. I think that this year will be interesting with the warmer weather. I'm you know, realizing, wow, it's 70 degrees outside and it's December. Someone tell me, is this normal? Is it, should I expect this? Okay, well, I can get used to this, but, um, <laughs> but it will be, it will be a, different, a different kind of Christmas for me. Um, so I think of those contrasts. I think of also the gift giving. What a wonderful time of year when we decide to give gifts to each other. In my family growing up, there are four siblings. I think um, Liz mentioned that. I'm the third of four. And the way that we would give gifts on Christmas Day, we, we waited. We didn't give any gifts on Christmas Eve. Um, with my dad being a priest, we were always at church, of course. And all four of us were acolytes, of course, also. So there was a lot of snickering and giggling and 
elbowing each other during that um, 11 o'clock service on Christmas Eve. So there were no presents on Christmas Eve for us, but there is their own, it had its own kind of joyful, um, holy expectation and holy celebration. But then on Christmas Day, we were not the kind of family that, um, that in a rush of excitement, tore into all of the gifts that were available. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's something that some families do. Our family just did not do that. What we did was we each took turns giving each gift. So you can imagine how long our Christmas day took. It went from after the morning service all the way until evening. We were still opening presents just all day long. And the way that we would do it is the youngest person in the family would pick out one gift. We'd start with the youngest person in the family. That person would, my younger sister, would pick out one gift to give to one person. And she'd go and she'd give that gift. And we'd watch the person open it. And then it would be my turn to go and pick a gift and give it to a person and we'd watch them open it. And I understand now why my parents chose this way of giving gifts. I think they were trying to help us as children to understand that Christmas is not so much about the actual gifts that we were receiving, but rather about the joy of giving those gifts to others that we cared about. So we certainly learned that. Um, although I will say now in my large family of my three siblings, all three are married. And there are nine grandchildren between the three families. And so with that many people in our family, we decided, okay, we have to do something about this because the little toddlers are not going to wait for each gift to be opened. They're already out the door or getting into the potted plants or doing something that's just not, not good for Christmas. So we've, we've abolished that tradition, but I loved that tradition because it helped us to savor the giving and receiving of gifts. So I think of all of these wonderful aspects of Christmas and of the season of longing and expectation for the Christmas that will come. But I also think that this season can be one of great anxiety. There's a countdown on the clock. And for us Episcopalians, we certainly have a great way of marking time, marking this countdown to Christmas by lighting candles, by opening little paper doors on advent calendars, we get that sense of the passage of time. But I think too there's a negative aspect when we internalize the consumerism of our culture. I don't know about you, but I know the clock is already ticking. I need to get those gifts and I need to get them in the mail and I need to get my house ready for some kind of party. I need to start baking, better start now, right? Maybe I can freeze it and then I can thaw it. You know, you know, there's this sense of this building anxiety when you look at the to-do list that lies in front of us as we wait for the 25th. So this anxiety can be a negative part of this season. Um, and I'd like to suggest that there's another way. Um, I think that this anxiety taps into relational fears I think that that's why the promotion of consumerism in our country is so effective. And I think I'd, I'd have to boil it down to that one greatest fear. Perhaps you share this fear with me. It's the worst that could happen. And the worst is that someone has been overlooked on your list. And that that someone gives you a present 
that is so great, whether it's so beautiful or it's exactly right for you or it's costly, do you join me in this anxiety over receiving this gift from someone that you have not purchased a gift for in return? Why do we get so anxious about that? I know that um, there's often a tendency to take a gift, to buy a gift that's sort of generic and wrap it up very beautifully, and keep it on hands. I think it's even advised by some people, right? People advise you to keep that good gift on hand just in case the unfortunate occurrence happens that someone gives you a gift that you haven't already purchased a gift um, for so that you can just bring it out and give it to them. And then at least you'll be able to give them something back, even if it wasn't specifically chosen with them in mind. I would like to challenge you this Christmas. I'd like to challenge you not to have that present ready and waiting. It's risky, right? I kind of have to take deep breaths when I even think about the idea. So this year, I challenge you to neglect to buy that extra present in reserve. And I'll tell you why. Because I think for us, it is all too much um, about giving. It's so much easier. You know, my parents were trying to inculcate in us that um, it wasn't all about receiving. And that's a good lesson to learn when you're five. It's not all about receiving that thing you really wanted. It's also about giving. But I think for us as adults, we need to relearn that it's not all about giving. There is something wonderful about receiving, about receiving a gift that we hadn't expected to receive. As we receive the unforeseen gift, we're practicing receiving God himself. Because in Jesus Christ, God has given each one of us that unforeseen gift, the gift that was greater than anything we could have expected or counted on, the gift that we have no gift to give back in return that could even uh, begin to equate with what he's given to us. In Jesus Christ, God has given us the gift that we never expected, that we never dared to hope for. I'm going to read from Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus Christ is a gift from God himself to us in our need. Because our lackluster faithfulness, our half-hearted obedience, our flawed devotion, and even our downright failures, whether it's a failure um, in relationship with parents um, of ours, with our spouses, with children, the ways we have let down other people are more than we can bear. And to forget them or to dust them under the rug does us no good in the long run. 
Christmas is about, um, Advent is about trying to prepare for the coming of God. And we prepare by cleaning house, right? We lift up the rug and dust the dirt out from underneath it. We open up the closets and let the light of Christ shine in them. And as we do that, we can do that with hope and with confidence because of God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. I know people don't like to talk about sin very much because it seems as though we're self-flagellating. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. Guilt for no reason is not a healthy guilt. That's something else. But the real guilt that comes from something that we have actually done is meant to be released from us. We aren't meant to hold on to that. God does not want that for us. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be like one of us, to be born as a humble, little, vulnerable baby, to be received by us so that that guilt will be lifted off of our shoulders. It is good news, even if we talk about the bad news first. It is good news because there's a way out. There's freedom for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to fill the gap for us, to make up for our lack, to be our righteousness. I think of that also of Jesus' own righteousness that becomes ours through faith. And I think of it like party clothes, right? This is the season when we dust off our party clothes. We put on our reds. I see so many beautiful reds out there, and I love it. Um, and I think about that. I think about, you know, feeling like I'm in middle school again sometimes. Do you ever experience this where you go to a party and you think, I don't look that good, or I should have brought out that other jewelry. Look at what, and it usually is because of, oh, look at what she's wearing. Doesn't she look lovely? We are lovely too. And we are lovely because we put on that righteousness of Jesus Christ. We put on his party clothes, which are more lovely than anything else we could come up with on our own. This gift of Jesus is a sign of his own love for us. And it's a sign of God's love for us, which is so vast, so um, high, so wide, so deep that we cannot even fathom it. So I encourage you this year to not bring out that reserve gift. Don't even buy it. Don't wrap it. I will challenge you. You know, if you decide, no, that challenge isn't for me, that's just fine. I won't tell anybody, and I won't even know. But I'd like to challenge you to, um, to not have the reserved gift waiting to give to the person that gives you the unforeseen gift. And that as you receive that unforeseen gift, because it's almost inevitable, isn't it? If you get to receive that unforeseen gift this year, I challenge you to receive it as though it was coming from God himself directly to you with a great big smile on his face. Because that's just the way that he is giving Jesus to us, with a great big smile. So, practice receiving. I encourage you to do that because we receive Jesus in this time of year. I'd also like to point to some other aspect of Christmas that looks at that underbelly. There is that beautiful, outward, joyful celebration. But to be honest, there is that anxiety, the anxiety of gift giving and the to-do list. 
there's also for many, many people, there is a time, there is a sense of melancholy. Perhaps it's because of less than happy childhood memories, or perhaps because of the loss of a loved one. Christmas brings out the memory of those who are not at the table any longer. We experience loss even in the midst of the joy of Christmas. Christmas can also highlight a loneliness that might already exist in our lives. We're never so lonely as we are when we're in a crowd. But in that sense of sadness that you might experience, I'd like to encourage you that um, this outward time of merriment and celebration and then also this perhaps a touch of melancholy is a true way of celebrating Advent in preparation for Christmas. Because Advent is a time of longing, of expectation for the coming of God to intervene. In this time in between that first coming of Jesus Christ as a little baby and his second coming as King and Lord over all, we know that we experience sin and also suffering in a way that we expect it not to be so. We think, well, God came once. Can't he just get rid of all of the sickness and the sorrow and the grief and the pain? We don't necessarily know why, but we know the end of the story. We know that as we celebrate again that first coming of Jesus Christ and as we look to his second coming, that we expect the end of the story. We know that when Jesus Christ comes back, he will bring with him the final sanctification of all those who believe in him. That all of creation on a wider scale will be completely restored. Bodies will be raised from the dead. Destruction of nature will be reversed. Can you imagine? Everything will be beautiful and perfect. So to feel right now some sense of pain and sorrow is only natural because it's as though there's a sign around our necks as individuals that says, under construction. It's as though there's a sign wrapped around our world, around our creation, that says the very same thing, under construction. But we know that this construction will be over, that it will be ended, that all will be made well, all will be beautiful. All of our sorrows and longings will be forgotten. Because as it says in Revelation 21, the dwelling place of God will be with men and women. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be, be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It's true. He's coming back. All will be made well. And so in this season, as we joyfully celebrate, even though we might be palpably aware of things that are not well, things that are not perfect, that are not as we would like them to be, we can trust that in Jesus Christ, they will be made well. All will be healed and restored and made perfect. 
So I leave you with that. That was very brief and it was a lot of scripture and a lot of theology and you might be thinking, I just wish she'd tell me a sweet story or a funny joke. I don't have a lot of those, but I, I, um, I do care about you deeply and I'm so glad to be here and I'm so glad to be a part of this joyful celebration that we're about to begin, right? We begin celebration now, even though it's still Advent, I'm okay with that. We're wearing our red, we're getting ready to give gifts, we're um, celebrating in the name of Jesus, we're giving thanks for who he is and we're sharing that joy of who he is with each other. So let's pray. Lord God, we look to you in hope for the end of the story. We give you thanks for your son, Jesus. And we ask that you would apply the joy of his first coming and the future looking upon his second coming to those parts within us that are hurting or sorrowful or in pain or in grief or in guilt or in shame. Heal us for his sake. We give you thanks for your son and the good gift that he is to us. And we say, yes, we'll wear his party clothes eternally with you. We give you thanks and we give you glory um, for this season. And we ask that you would continue to multiply in us the joy of Christmas. So we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.